Well, good morning. Welcome to Directional Bible Ministries, a teaching ministry that is called to encourage, disciple, and challenge the people of God. I hope you're doing well today. Today is October the 20th, and we are continuing to work our way through the book of Acts together. Uh, last time we were together, we actually finished up chapter number 24, and of course in chapter number 24, um, Paul is standing before Felix. Remember, all these problems started back in chapter number 21 <clears throat> as Paul <clears throat> made his way to Jerusalem. And when he came into Jerusalem, uh, things seemed to go well uh, when he stood before James and the elders and began to share what God was doing among the, the Gentiles. And then they, in turn, uh, responded with what God was doing um, among the Jews, they were still um, zealous toward God. Um, and then, of course, some Jews from Asia had come down and were stirring up um, the Jews there in <clears throat> Jerusalem, saying that Paul preached against the law of Moses. He preached against circumcision. He was teaching the Jews not to circumcise their children, walk in the customs, and course, we know that um, that was not true at all. Um, Paul was still preaching the kingdom gospel to the Jews. He was still preaching obedience to the law, circumcising children, walking in the country. They had confused what he was teaching to the Gentiles with what he had been teaching to the Jews. And even today, people don't understand that. People today who believe the church was born in Acts chapter number 2 uh, people who did, that who do not recognize that Paul taught two Gospels. Uh, Paul taught the Gospel of the Kingdom to the Jew, which did require keeping of the Mosaic Law and circumcision and walking in the customs. And yet he also taught uh, the Grace Gospel to the Gentiles that did not require those things, but simple belief. There is no way to read the book of Acts without a filter on and not see this. Uh, Paul was clearly teaching uh, two Gospels. And of course, you know, we are introduced to Lysias, the centurion, the chief captain, who saved Paul on numerous occasions. Uh, he ended up Paul before Felix. And then, of course, uh, uh, at the end of chapter number 24, uh, we saw last time that Felix uh, kept Paul in, in custody, having a more perfect knowledge of that way. Uh, Felix was very aware of the law of the Jews because he was married to a Jewess named Drusilla. And of course, um, Paul did preach. He did reason righteousness and temperance and judgment to come. That's clearly a kingdom gospel that Paul was sharing to Felix. And Felix, tr Felix trembled and answered and said, go away. When I have a more convenient time, I'll call for you. And, of course, he was just wanting some money from Paul. That's not to say that, that Paul, he wasn't convicted. I mean, the verses say he trembled. Um, he was uh, uh, convicted by it, uh, but obviously did not respond to it. He ended up being the typical politician. He wanted money. And that brings us down into verse number 25. Of course, at the, verse number, at the end of verse number 20, uh, chapter number 24, we see that Porcius Festus, um, came into Felix's position. So so Paul has been in two years um, in jail um, between Felix and Porcius Festus, 
And then in chapter number 25, this is new territory uh, today. In chapter number 25, um, now when Festus was coming to the province, after three days he ascended from Caesarea to Jerusalem. Um, this is Porcius Festus who had replaced Felix. Historically, they were both sitting on a landmine because the Jews were hard to govern, as Pilate had already found out. <laughs> they were very difficult people to govern. Uh, historically, um, even today, de Blasio in New York, I think he's figuring out that the Jews are very hard to govern. They just they don't violate uh, their consciences. They don't violate what they believe God has told them to do. Throughout history, they have been that way. Uh, after Felix and, Festia, and Festus came Albinus, and then after Albinus came Florus, which ended in what was called the War of the Jews, uh, which took place between 66 and 73 AD. It's also referred to as the Jewish-Roman Wars uh, because uh, they, there were a series of revolts against Roman rule that eventually led to the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. Uh, Josephus, uh, you can actually Google this, details these events in his work, uh, The Wars of the Jews or the History of the Destruction of Jerusalem. And he walks through exactly um, how this happened. Um, and Festus here, at the beginning of these events, was very interested in knowing or investigating anyone who was accused of inciting the Jews to rebellion. Uh, you remember when Paul was first taken by Lysias, uh, he believed that uh, he was an Egyptian who had led an insurrection. Um, and, of course, Paul clarified that with him. So there was a lot of uh, suspicion going on right now in regards to the Jews because it would lead to what would be four governors who couldn't turn the tide and, of course, Rome having to drop its, its, the weight of its military on Jerusalem to, to quell uh, the rebellion that was beginning to take place here in Jerusalem. Um, and then in verse number two, Then the high priest and the chief of the Jews informed him against Paul uh, and besought him uh, and desired favor against him that he would send for him to Jerusalem lay, laying wait in the way to kill him. So, the Jews are still after Paul. They're wanting him dead. They're trying to deceive the Roman authorities uh, to to send him, send Paul down. So you remember those guys that bound themselves under a vow that said they would either eat and eat or drink until they've killed Paul. Well, that's still very much alive. They're trying to get at Paul. They want him dead. But Festus answered that Paul should be kept in Caesarea, uh, and that he himself would depart shortly thither. Let them therefore, said he, which among you are able, go down with me and accuse this man, if there be any wickedness in him. So again, you know, the Jews are actively trying to get Rome to transport Paul so that they could ambush and kill him along the way. But Festus appears to be a little too smart for that. Um, the only reason he was saved the first time, you'll remember, is that Paul's sister, uh, his little nephew, went and told Lysias, that he had overheard uh, that these Jews had bound together that they wanted to kill Paul and they were going to trick him into sending, sending him down and they were going to ambush him in the way. 
And when he had tarried among them more than ten days, he went down unto Caesarea, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, commanded Paul uh, to be brought. Again, we see this word judgment uh, seat here. That's the word bima uh, that is used for judgment seat here in this verse. Of course, we know that the ultimate judgment seat will be the one that we will all appear before, according to Paul writing to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the bema seat of Christ, that everyone may give or receive the things uh, done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And of course, that speaks of rewards. That does not speak of <clears throat> whether or not you're going to be saved. The very fact that you're standing before that bema means that you've been saved. It's just a matter of rewards. So, you know, that same word judgment seat is bema that Paul refers to. And then in verse number seven, and when he was come, the Jews which came down from Jerusalem stood round about and laid many grievous complaints against Paul, uh, which they could not prove. Of course, Paul had already stated, you have no proof of anything that you're accusing me of. As a matter of fact, your eyewitnesses aren't even here. Uh, the Jews that followed me down from Ephesus that stirred all this up, that made these accusations, they're not even present. Paul knew full well what this issue was about, and Felix figured it out too, and Festus is going to figure it out, that this was all about the resurrection. The fact that Paul was preaching the resurrection of Christ from the dead, you know, the one you guys killed, uh, the one that was the Son of God, you know, the one that uh, was your your king, the one that uh, promised you a kingdom, understood they despised the fact that Paul was accusing them of this. Um, and while he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, neither against this temple, nor yet against Caesar have I offended anything at all. In other words, I'm not guilty of being a pestilent person. I'm not uh, I'm not guilty of being seditious. Uh, I'm not speaking against the Jews. I'm not speaking against the temple. Uh, I'm not speaking against the customs. Uh, I haven't offended in anything at all. Uh, so again, Paul's stating his innocence. Um, and again, Paul is saying that he has not been teaching against the law of Moses. He has not been teaching against circumcision or the customs. And remember, that's what started all of this. When he first came in Jerusalem, he went into the temple to fulfill his vow. He was with the four of the Jews that had made the same vow. And they said, he's teaching us to forsake the law of Moses, not circumcise our children, and not to walk in the customs. Now, what's interesting to me is, folks, we're in chapter 25 of the book of Acts, and Paul is still preaching this. How's Paul still preaching this if the church, the body of Christ, was born in chapter number two, Randy White points out three things at this point that I think are worthy of note. Either Paul was under the law, and thus we are as well today. So that's the first conclusion you got to draw, that Paul never came out from under the law. Uh, this is the conclusion of much of covenant theology. But, of course, it totally disregards the book of Galatians, which clearly says we're not under the law. So, number one, either Paul was under the law and we are still all under the law, or Paul was not under the law and he was lying. He was teaching against the law of Moses. He was teaching them not to circumcise their children or walk in the customs. One of two options. Either Paul was under the law, we're still under the law, or, 
or Paul was not in the law and he was lying, or Paul was under the law because he was a Jew, living in the age when the kingdom was still being offered to the Jewish nation, but he also taught a personal salvation that was outside of the law of Moses, according to the revealed mystery. I'm going to go with number three. The conclusion is is that this is a unique period of transition in which Israel is slowly diminishing. Romans eleven twelve, Paul said, Now if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing, the word diminishing doesn't speak of a sharp drop or a sharp division or decline. It's a slow ebbing away. And if the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness. So we're going to have to go with number three here. Paul was still a Jew living under the, in the age when the kingdom was still being offered to the Jewish nation. And when Paul preached to the Jews, he preached the kingdom, which was a national salvation. It was a hope that it was not too late, (laughs) that the nation would repent and be baptized, and that the tribulation period would begin, would culminate with the second coming and the establishment of the kingdom. That is the kingdom message. That's why we call it the kingdom message. We do not teach the kingdom message today. We are not in the kingdom. We are not kingdom people. We are not building a kingdom. We are not part of a kingdom. We are not looking forward to a kingdom. We are looking forward to the rapture of the body of Christ, and then the kingdom gospel will be preached again. That is what could have, would have, should have happened had the Jews accepted the preaching that was offered to them. And we've already went over this. What could have, would have, should have happened but it didn't happen. And therefore, you and I are living in this age of grace. And then, of course, Paul also taught the grace gospel to the Gentiles. So there's no way to walk away from anything but that if you rightly divide the book of Acts. Um, My entire ministry, I've been taught to shun the word hyper-dispensationalist. I am a dispensationalist. I've always been a dispensationalist. Um, But people who do what's called mid-acts, which means we believe that there's also the division between um, the law and grace, didn't happen at Acts chapter number two, but it actually happened somewhere over in the middle. And I'm not going to, I don't think it's Acts chapter number nine either. But somewhere between chapter 9 and chapter number 13, Paul was the first one uh, to uh, believe the grace grace gospel and be the first one into the body of Christ. That's why it's called the mid-Acts position. And of course, people will derogatorily use the term, well, you're a hyper-dispensationalist. No, I I think I am a right divider. I'm just dividing it properly instead of going with the party line that it all happened in chapter number two. Again, if you think it all happened in chapter number two, you got a problem with what Paul's doing here. Either he was still under the law and so are we, and you're going to end up in covenant theology, or he was, he's not under the law, but he's simply lying here, or 
He was under the law and still preaching the kingdom gospel to the Jew, but at the same time preaching a national salvation as had been revealed to him according to the mystery. Well, God bless you guys. Hope that you have a great day, and and I'll see you tomorrow morning, Lord willing, uh, 630.